Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by City Hall reporter Joshua Fector, business columnist and editor Greg Jefferson. And uh, as uh, uh, most of you know, I mean, one of the, the big issues in San Antonio this past year, and it was on the ballot uh, last month, was the Workforce Development Program, which uh, Mayor Ron Nuremberg has championed. And Josh, you had a story last week. Uh, it was really interesting because you had one of the big advocates for the for this proposition and for the program, uh, Cops Metro, uh, expressing some concerns about the way the city is approaching it. What what is what are they uh, unhappy about? So, Cops Metro was you know kind of the. Uh, the progenitor of, of, you know, a lot of this discussion around workforce development, you know, more than 25 years ago, they founded uh, Project Quest, which was, um, which is this, you know, is seen as sort of a model for, for workforce development across the country. Uh, you know, they were, they were big backers of, of Proposition B. Sonia Rodriguez was, was on uh, the uh, the mayor's uh, ready to work campaign. Uh, she's a cops metro leader, um, and you know, yesterday not yesterday, last week um, before the Express News editorial board, uh, you know, a bunch of cops metro leaders uh, came before the editorial board and said, you know, we thought that. Um, that there was going to be basically sort of like the smaller implementation of this uh, of this workforce program. Instead, they're creating sort of this bloated bureaucracy and sort of like at at issue here is basically the city's plan uh, to hire sixty three people, uh, basically you know the size of a new city department to yeah. sort of oversee. <laughs> the program to, you know, uh, dole out sort of what they call wraparound services, uh, you know, basically services that uh, people who are at risk of dropping out would need to sort of complete the program. Uh, and, uh, you know, they they kind of threw up their hands and they said, we, we didn't know that when we were supporting this ballot initiative that this is what we were going to uh, – going to basically wind up with, which is, um, you know, this, this sort of, uh, administrative, uh, bloat is what they said. They, they thought the city was basically going to take this money and then, and then, you know, panned it over to organizations or entities that, that had experience right. doing this sort of thing. Right. And the, the other thing is they're also mounting sort of this, this national search, for basically an executive director for uh, this, basically a, a new agency, and you know, it's their complaint about that was a subset of what you just said, Gilbert, which was, "Hey, look, we've already got this expertise here. Why are we mounting sort of a national search?" Um, and the city's defense for all of this is, you know, the the scale at which they're going to have to provide these kinds of services is unprecedented. That basically right. the uh, that outside organizations may be able to provide them, but not at the scale that we need. Um, so uh, we want to basically have uh, control over that. We want to have right. control over uh, basically the ones that are targeted towards the most needy participants. Um, there's still some talk about, you know, they're going to contract out for about like 80% 
of of this work to like outside groups but but those groups won't be handling sort of the most uh sort of the the folks who have the most pressing needs you know, I, I th- and I think you hit on a key point there when you said this is unprecedented, because I think people who who know more about this than I do have said that really no city has attempted to do something on this scale before. And so, um, it, it, I mean, it's um, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this works out, because we've, you know, workforce development or sit, municipal involvement in workforce development uh uh, in most places uh, historically has been, you know, pretty small, you know, the city will throw a couple of million dollars here or there. Um, and this is, this is a really ambitious program. Yeah. I mean, I think cops Metro though has, is, has a point. I mean, nobody, you know, nobody knew that this is what the city had in mind right. ahead of the vote on November 3rd. <clears throat> I mean, I think the going assumption, it was certainly my assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, which turned out to have been completely wrong was okay. that they would hire something, you know, the city would hire a staff, including a coordinator, somebody responsible for pulling all of this together, but that the city staff would basically be monitoring and overlooking the work done, you know, under contract with, right. you know, Alamo colleges, with project quest, with, with, uh, you know, workforce solutions, Alamo, uh, but not that the city would be creating a new department, like a, an entirely new democracy or a bureaucracy that, you know, if if this expires at the end of the, the sales tax term, I mean, you know, you, you've still got the structure hanging around. Right. I mean, well, great. What do you, don't usually go away. Why, why, <laughs> I mean, do you think, why do you think they're doing it? Is, is it just because the 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 amount of uh, tax revenue is so is so big that they want to feel that they have like more control over how this is done or i mean what what do you think is going on well, here i mean it, it it struck me that and josh weigh in like if, if i'm wrong here but it, it just judging from the city staff's presentation last week it sounds like they really you know they don't have their arms around how this is going to exactly work you know in coordinating with all of these other entities you know like like Project Quest, like Alamo Colleges, and to me, it seems like their fallback is well, we'll just we'll just hire you know sixty three people on the city side to manage it, uh, and they just haven't thought through how the city can coordinate with all of these other organizations. And and what's yep. interesting about sort of the the timing of this is that they're 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 doing this is all part of like some you know months long kind of. Uh, I guess not debate, but basically they're they're figuring this out over the next several months, um, uh, you know. And and in that discussion, you know, they're 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 identifying sort of the structure, like who's going to be sort of advising on policy on this. Like they're they're getting into the guts of of the of the actual programs and policies, you know. I think in March or in April. So mm-hmm. it's like this this is coming before that. Um, when that discussion takes place. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm like you, Greg, I didn't, I didn't foresee that this was going to, we were going to have that kind of uh, city involvement or, or, or just be, you know, the, I, when I read your story, Josh, about, you know, 63, uh, you know, city employees being hired, I was, you know, I was kind of stunned by that because I just, you know, again, you're, you're taking a, at, at, um, at the most basic level, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking that a pretty good chunk of revenue for this mm-hmm. program is really going to be going into just, you know, hiring city people to to administer this thing. 
And right. and uh, and you know another another thread that I think perhaps shouldn't be lost here is that this is kind of uh, you know there another sort of example of sort of the mayor having an ally and then you know something happens and then that relationship gets strained. I mean, you yeah. see this play out you know over his tenure with you know the business community, progressives, um, you know basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it seems like, um, you know, I mean, excuse me, if you look at, um, you know, sort of the statement that he gave, you know, he's kind of chalking this up to, uh, you know, this is all part of the process, basically, Uh, we kind of expect this kind of debate, but, um, you know, they, they were they were pretty angry. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were they were pretty passionate in their in their uh, in their opposition to this. I, my mm-hmm. understanding is that since that uh, editorial board meeting, uh, some cops metro leaders have met with city manager Eric Walsh, and and there I think there might have been one or two council members there. So, I mean, there, there is a dialogue happening now, um, and and it, it'll continue. And I I, I, mean, I think they want to work this out. But um, I mean, it's it's good that the debate is happening. Um, but it as we've talked about before, it they're they're probably it would have been a positive thing to have more clarity um, on this, you know, before the election so that uh, there wouldn't be you know, surprises coming yeah. after that. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about um, an issue that came up with a city council candidate. We're starting to see candidates uh, declaring or filing uh, treasurer appointment reports. In district one, we've seen Mario Bravo, uh, who's an environmental activist, um, uh, to file a treasurer's report and he's going to be running against uh, incumbent Roberto Trevino. Mario Bravo ran for county commissioner against Lake Paula, Arizona in 2018, finished uh, third in that race. And, uh, you know, in that, when he ran then, he, he questioned a lot of sort of structural issues with the county. The fact that, uh, you know, we don't have term limits or, uh, f- you know, if fundraising or donation limits and uh, just some ethics issues that, that uh, come up in the County. I think his city hall uh, city council campaign will be, will be similar. He's going to bring up structural issues. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was that he talked about, he made the case that um, we historically had a sort of a part-time city council. They didn't get paid really at all. $20, $20 a meeting. And, he suggested that the pattern that they got into with this sort of part-time city council work was that all they really had time to, to focus on was constituent services. And so they spent all their time, the offices were focused on just taking calls from constituents if they had a stray dog problem or something like that. And in 2015, we had a charter amendment uh, election, voters approved council pay. And so even though for the past five years, council members have had full-time pay, the old mentality uh, continues to persist in his view. And it is that council members relinquish the the power to make policy, which should be their their responsibility. They relinquish it to city staff, which has more time, the ability to do research, to develop policy. And council members kind of deal mainly with constituent services. And he thinks this is a problem and this has to change. And I want to start with you, Greg, because you're the only one of us who's actually been on the inside and seen how these things work. I mean, do you think there there is an argument to be made that council members uh, in San Antonio tend to um, uh, defer to city staff when it comes to making policy? Well, let me start by saying, 
Yes, that's that's <laughs> entirely true. Let me also say that I I sucked as a council staff member. I, I, was, yeah, I was terrible. Never should have been in city government. That said, I did I did you know observe a lot of stuff, including the fact that I mean, look, it's it's one thing to to pay council members. Uh, a salary, you know, more than $20 a meeting, you know, they're, they're now making, what was it? 42, 45, somewhere in the forties right? Uh, per year. That doesn't at all address uh, the size of their staffs. So like most, uh, most city council members have, you know, maybe about half a dozen staff members to cover, to cover both policy and, and constituent service. Like that's, it's just not enough. And, and what council members are able to pay, uh, you know, you, they, they don't have a lot of money to bring in kind of sub subject matter expertise in, right. you know, in, in utilities, the environment, zoning, land, zoning and land use. Um, so a lot of, a lot of it is kind of catch as catch can, and you, yeah. you don't have a lot of, uh, you know, you've got several, you know, on uh, on city council now, you have several staff members who have been around a long time, and and they know a lot. They know how city hall works, but they're the exception and really not the rule. So, I mean, what happens is city council members uh, rely to to a great extent, uh, and I mean by that I mean almost exclusively mm-hmm. on city staff under uh, city manager Eric Walsh. For information, for even the most basic decisions, like city council does not have a way to to compile its own uh, information on whatever topic you're talking about, whether mm-hmm. it's transportation or, or utilities or, or zoning. Uh, and they, you know, they don't have a way to kind of independently analyze uh, policies that either their colleagues are proposing that they want to develop themselves yeah. or that that city staff is is recommending. Um, and all, all of that comes down to money. They just don't have the money to do it and have not allocated it in in the in the annual budget. So part of it you think would would involve just uh, increasing the, the 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 budget for the staff to allow yeah, them to I get mean, people it, you know, yeah, it's really, I mean, it's not, it's, it's really not a hard, you know, it's not a hard problem to address if you're willing to put a lot more money into the administration of, of city council. Like if, if you want a city council that is, you know, that is a policy, you know, a policymaking body in the truest sense, uh, that means, you know, they have to have, they have to have expertise and they have to have sources of, you know, independent, independently verified information, and all of that costs money. I mean, that's it, that's just the bottom line. I mean, it's it's an unwillingness to allocate uh, the money it would take to be truly independent. Yeah. What do you think, Josh? Well, something that 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 I um, that I think about a lot is sort of the. Um, the shift in in sort of the governance culture since you know Cheryl Scully left, um, and you know Cheryl Scully could be said you know to to have had you know sort of you know an actual sort of you know sort of vision and and sort of agenda that she wanted to execute on, uh, and you know that you know and people used to you know people started to to say like you know she was delving into policy too much um but i mean she really was sort of like this driving 
force in 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 right. in shaping in shaping policy. Um, and you know, kind of with with her gone, you have you know city council that was still kind of in in that role that we've been discussing, uh, where maybe maybe hasn't been able to sort of think about um, they haven't been able to think about themselves as as really the policymakers. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have you have a city manager who is who is very collaborative and very sort of, uh, you know, he, right. he's talked about how like he's, he's really sought to be uh, more, more open and, and more sort of deferential to, to the council. So like when you have that there, when you have, you know, a city manager, who's kind of a little bit more open and maybe more collaborative um, with a, a council, that's not, doing you know uh, that's not yet in sort of that policy making role mm-hmm. then like what what do you what are you left with oh yeah and that's absolutely true i mean i saw you know when when i was working in city hall and this was for i don't know like a, a four-year period it was all under cheryl scully and you know i saw on any on an indian number of occasions mm-hmm. uh, council members being afraid like little literally afraid of crossing cheryl scully on whatever yeah you know, whatever particular vote she was seeking. Yeah. Uh, they, they didn't want to incur, you know, what they thought would be her wrath. And then, you know, it was, it was never entirely clear to me what they were afraid of, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, the city manager is, you know, like the, her office is, is central to any city council member's success. I mean, like, in constituent service, uh, being able to call the city manager to get, you know, a street project expedited or, you know, anything, uh, it's really important. And they, they value that access and under Scully, they were afraid, (laughs) you know, they, they, Mm -hmm. they were afraid that there would be a price to pay for, for not voting her way. Yeah. And council members would come and go and she, she was there through what, 13, 14 years or something. So she, you know, she saw him come and go. Oh, yeah. and she, so there was always a, a power uh, mm-hmm. dynamic where, I mean, the, the city manager was always going to have a lot more power in that situation. Right. And, you know, and in, in Cheryl Scully's case, and I think this is true of a lot of city managers who, who are, you know, in the office for, for a long time. And, you know, the, the average lifespan for a city manager is, is roughly, you know, five years. She was there for 13. So in that time, I mean, she developed a lot of relationships with the business community. Uh, so, I mean, you know, when she came to you, you know, if you're a, if you were a council member and she approached you, you you knew that she was speaking generally with the support of the mayor because all of the mayor she served under uh, backed her to the hilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she came to you with their support and with the business community support and and to a lesser extent, you know, the community community groups as well, like 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 cops and and others. Right. So yeah, I mean, that's a lot to deal with as a as an individual <laughs> council member. You know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you they're 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 their fright was was kind of understandable. <laughs> in that way. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back. Head over to expressnews.com to check out our all-new podcast page where you can find more great San Antonio-focused podcasts such as Express Briefing, where we bring you the top headlines for the day in about 10 minutes or less. 
All right, we're back. And uh, I want to wrap things up today by talking a little bit about uh, Joaquin Castro, uh, San Antonio Congressman. Uh, you know, most people, uh, when they, unless they have, uh, you know, uh, the kind of background that, say, Will Hurd had with the working in the CIA or they have a, had an extensive military background, there, there are a few exceptions. But I think that for the most part, people, when they enter the U.S. House, uh, don't have a lot of foreign policy uh, knowledge or, or a real background there, and particularly if you come from a, you know working in a state legislature. And uh, Joaquin Castro uh, has been in uh, the House for about eight years now, and uh, I think one of the things that's been interesting to uh, to witness has been his evolution uh, as as a voice on foreign policy. And uh, last Friday, he uh, there was an election for the House. Uh, Foreign Affairs Committee chair. This is something he'd been campaigning for. Uh, he finished second. It was expected uh, that he was uh, not going to be able to, to to win this uh, race against uh, Gregory Meeks, who's the uh, member of the House from New York. But I, I think there were some interesting things that came out of this race. And, uh, you know, one of the things that he has talked a lot about, and I think that the, he talked about, I think, the need uh, for a new generation to sort of emerge. And he's 46. Uh, Gregory Meeks is 67. He also talked about wanting to use the the, the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, to, to bring in different voices. He t- talked about wanting to have Palestinian representatives come in and speak to the committee, um, which would, I think would be something uh, different. But I think one of the things that was really interesting was the way he talked about not only the usual democratic thing, uh, issues about sort of re-engaging with our allies uh, after Donald Trump's four years of uh, kind of America first nationalism um, and, and you know, rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement and so on. But he talked about looking at various issues, foreign policy issues or uh, or, or various issues through a foreign policy prism. And uh, he talked about how we should, uh, when we deal with foreign policy, we should uh, think about climate change. We should think about deforestation. We should think about LGBT rights. We should think about poverty and hunger and so on. And think of these as foreign policy issues rather than issues that we sort of put in a, in a different category. Um, and I think that that's going to, it's going to be one of the interesting things to see with some of the, some of the younger members of uh, the Democratic caucus to see uh, it, during the Biden years, how that that kind of thinking starts to emerge, um, hmm. you know, in foreign policy. And hey, Greg, I, you know, I mean, I, you've certainly like written about and covered uh, uh, Joaquin mm-hmm. Castro for years. Have you been surprised to see how interested? You know, we 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 tended to think of him in in the Texas House as being really interested in education and things like that. He's right. Yeah. He's yeah, he has. And I think that that comes as news to, I think, a lot of people in San Antonio. But I mean, the the fact of the matter is like he's he's been developing his, you know, foreign affairs brief for, you know, or portfolio for for years now. Um, yeah. You know, several years ago, he he co-founded the, you know, U.S.-Japan caucus in the House. Uh, he's, yeah. you know, he's shown a lot of interest in trade, not, o- not only with Japan. And by the way, part of that obviously is connected to Toyota, which has a truck plant in San Antonio, but <laughs> yeah. it goes beyond that. Uh, you know, and he's interested in, in developing trade with, you know, with Southeast Asian countries. In fact, uh, just a couple of months ago, he co-authored a house bill that would basically set up funding uh, to create small business development mm-hmm. centers, little little offices around Southeast Asia. And I mean, it's it was 
almost laughably small, honestly. It was it, it was seeking mm-hmm. about a million dollars in federal funding to get these offices going, uh, which is which is practically nothing in the grand scheme of things. But yeah. I mean, it, it shows an interest in developing, you know, further developing those relationships. And you know, UTSA Small Business Development Center would have would have played a really key role in this. So yeah, I mean, he's 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 actually uh, you know shown quite a bit of interest, particularly in Asia. But you know, he's also been on you know MSNBC, CNN, talking about foreign matters of the day in Afghanistan and the Middle East. Uh, and I think, again, I think a lot of this uh, takes some San Antonians by surprise if you're not watching his his congressional career day in and day out. Sure. And, and you know, that's the thing. I mean, that's always interesting to me about, you know, uh, elected officials. Sometimes they, uh, uh, particularly with Congress, people come in with, you know, with one set of expectations. They, they We think mm-hmm. of, of their, their big issues as uh, being certain things. And... Mm-hmm. Um, along the way, they, they just take a different path or they start to develop uh, an interest or an expertise that you didn't really see coming uh, mm-hmm. years before. And uh, it was not an obvious thing for him. Like I said, he didn't have a military background. He didn't have, um, you know, he didn't really have any foreign affairs uh, experience, but it's just something that he took an interest in and decided that the, the issues that were big issues for him, like I said, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was poverty or, or education or these things, that that these things could be looked at, uh, you know, when, when developing foreign policy, and, Josh, and I'm, I'm sorry. Greg, and his, oh yeah. And, and didn't his brother Julian, didn't he take flack for not having, uh, much foreign affairs experience when he was running for president? I mean, maybe this is an offset. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, which, which brings it like, well, I don't, but my twin brother does. <laughs> and if you combine the two, then you're, you know, then you yeah, got, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm Jack and he's Bobby. So, you know, <laughs> and that way you could have the twins switch out and you wouldn't notice yeah oh man we're, we're, we're really gonna go there oh man that's a, that's a sensitive issue um well on that note um i think we're gonna wrap things up but uh, we'll be back next week and we're gonna have a special guest who is going to enlighten us about the upcoming uh texas legislative session that's which i think is going to be a really uh It's probably going to be a pretty wild one and and a very challenging one for sure. So uh, we'll be back uh, next week and we hope everyone's doing well. Take care.